Welcome to Ideas Into Reality, a podcast to inspire everyone to take action to turn their ideas into reality. No matter what experience they have, where they live, or who they think they are right now. Each week, we introduce you to a founder that has taken their tiny flicker of an idea and done what it takes to bring it to reality. We also take a few minutes to dig into the how of some of the key lessons those founders have learned on their journey so that you can feel more confident in what to actually do as you start to take action on your idea. Ideas into Reality is hosted and produced by the team behind Canvas Coworking and Startup Toowoomba. So we'll be talking to founders from our local community here in regional Queensland, as well as some of the interesting folk that we have met during our travels around the globe. As you heard, Ideas into Reality is produced by the team behind Canvas Coworking. At Canvas Coworking, we're passionate about building the startup ecosystem in our region and beyond, connecting entrepreneurs, designers, developers, hackers, makers, hipsters, creatives, mentors, and investors. We're a not-for-profit incorporated association with an objective to support those who want to turn their ideas into reality. Since mid-2015, our community have been coming together to work, learn, and connect here at Canvas Coworking and online. We're located on Ruthven Street in Toowoomba, a small, beautiful city in the southeast of Queensland, the Sunshine State of Australia. Yet we know that many people don't really know yet what we do here or why we're here or how to become involved. So we hope that the information that you hear on this podcast will help you understand that all a little bit better and make you feel confident to join in whenever you're ready. So you can find out more at canvascoworking.com.au and reach out to us anytime. For our regular listeners, you will already know that here at Canvas Coworking, we have recently started the Flare Incubator, a 16-week program to support female-led businesses from regional areas that aspire to go into an international market. Today, I'm joined by Amy Bateman and Sean Murray, co-founders of Pleasant State. They are in the early stages of their journey to create a viable alternative for people who want to reduce the amount of single-use plastics they purchase. Their focus is on reducing the amount of plastic bottles being manufactured for the purpose of selling and storing household cleaning sprays, like your multi-purpose cleaner, your glass cleaner and your bathroom cleaner. They have worked hard to understand what their audience wants and to create a solution and are now in the middle of their crowdfunding campaign to be able to bring the product to reality. I hope you enjoy their story today and are able to pledge your support to their cause. And I encourage you to share that with your family, friends and colleagues and ultimately the planet. All right, so let's get into this conversation, which I'm super excited about. So, Sean, I might start with you. Do you want to tell us just a little bit about yourself first? Hello, uh, my name's Sean. I'm the co-founder of Pleasant State. Uh, I live in Noosa, originally from Melbourne, moved here recently. Um, within Pleasant State, I kind of focus on love, all things branding and marketing, um, but in my own and private life. <laughs> I love surfing the beach. Um, I play footy. 
Um, and yeah, loving being part of Pleasant State. Awesome. Well, welcome. I'm really glad to have you with us today. And Amy, how about yourself? Yes, Amy, I'm the other co-founder at Pleasant State. I live also on the Sunshine Coast, very lucky, uh, outside of Pleasant State, which actually at the moment is all-consuming. I also do surf life saving, uh, spend some time with my partner and our fur babies. And now that it's summer, definitely trying to get out a little bit more. But I look after most of the business side of things outside of the marketing bit at the moment. Well, it's great to have you both here and I'm always just a little bit jealous of people who live near the beach because I do love it. But I I comfort myself by saying that at least when I go there, I really appreciate it as opposed to many people who live near it and have no appreciation because they just take it for granted. So, but for those who don't, good for you. <laughs> now, Pleasant State is obviously a fairly new company that you have set up. And I love the the message that's behind it. So maybe, Amy, I'll just get you to share with us a little bit of what was happening in your life before Pleasant State started to become an actual thing on its own right. I'll probably start with two things that happened back in November last year. One was that... uh, the Sunshine Coast area was actually experiencing unseasonably hot and dry weather. And we were the first in Australia to suffer from very serious bushfires. So that, as someone who's always been concerned about the environment, uh, just to see that, and obviously the effects of global warming here in Australia so early and the devastating effects it was having just was making me feel compelled to do more. I've always had this need to do more, but you've seen it in your face and in your backyard. Definitely that that urge to do something became uh, very loud and intense. The other thing that occurred was I, I travelled to Sydney. I was very fortunate to be part of a program that was supporting senior women to fast track onto ASX 100 boards I accepted the nomination to participate as part of this program, but whenever I went along to the training sessions, which were fantastic, I was learning about governance and what happened around boardrooms, I just always felt like a bit, like I didn't quite belong. Uh, And those conversations always centred around profits, shareholder returns, as opposed to broader purpose and value. And so I was the youngest person probably by about 20 years participating in that program. And these were women I looked up to and, you know, they're definitely remarkable women. But one day in November, I just realised that if if someone's going to make a change, it may may not be those women in that room who, who are still thinking like all of current corporate, not all of current corporate Australia, but a lot of corporate Australia. So I left that meeting um, feeling yeah quite quite unhappy actually and realizing I can't expect things to change um, I might have to be that catalyst for change so th- those things happened around November then what occurred I, is I received a call from a friend uh, it was late November early December he's a Dutch friend of mine uh, we have very challenging conversations and I was laying on my couch at home with the door open because it was very hot uh, and his name came up on my phone and I was like, oh, do I, do I really have the energy for this call? 
So I decided to answer it and straight away we're having a debate about the bushfires and global warming and environmental issues and he's quite, well, he's very different to me in his opinions so it can get a little bit heated but what happened is it ended with him asking me if I was aware of these just add water cleaning solutions that were being marketed direct to consumer. They These brands were popping up in the US and Europe He said to me that the premise behind it was that a lot of our cleaning products, if you think a multi-purpose spray, a glass spray, a bathroom spray, for example, consists of 97% of water. That I was just quite shocked by that. Uh, I didn't, like many Australians we've found out, had no idea what's in my cleaning products. I definitely didn't realize that the key ingredient was water. And when you think we're just, we're paying for water, we're transporting that water around, we're throwing that bottle out at the end of it. It just seemed like a really simple idea, kind of a no brainer. And post that call, it's just the one idea that didn't leave me. I guess combined the bushfire, this environmental disaster that I think we're already experiencing combined with this need to do business differently. And now the idea, I, I guess it just all kind of came together and as I started to look at what was available in Australia and New Zealand, I realised not, uh, not, not direct to consumer. So, yeah, just thought, well, uh, let's, let's do it. Why don't I make it happen? It was a product I wanted and I felt that uh, the world and Australia needed. You mentioned travelling to Sydney and obviously being part of that group of, and you said senior women, and I'm thinking you so don't look like a senior, but context of of in business. Um, what were you doing like work-wise and, and are you still in fact in the role that you had then? Yeah, good question. So at the time, so two years prior to commencing Pleasant State, I started my own technology consulting business. So I had sold in a, a custom software solution to a big four consulting firm uh, and, and a number of other clients. So just I had an opportunity at the time to kind of take my skill set in uh, big complex audit projects combined with my experience with technology and software, kind of bring them together and provide quite a neat solution uh, to to a big company. Uh, And prior to that, I was head of customer success at a a technology startup that had developed workplace health and safety consulting software. So I implemented their software at McDonald's, NAB and IAG during my brief time there. And prior to that, I was a senior manager at Ernst & Young. So working with and advising some of Australia's biggest profit, non-for-profit organisations. And are you still doing any of those or is Pleasant State now full-time for you? Pleasant State is more than full-time. In fact, I dream about it. What was I had this really weird dream. Uh, anyway, I can't remember it, but I felt really bad. I was late or I'd forgotten something, things that I stress about uh, in my dreams, obviously. Uh, so, no, uh, I'm not doing that anymore. So, thankfully, I kind of made my res- myself redundant uh, out of that, but made sure that the transition um, was smooth enough. I, I think combined with COVID, that was kind of a blessing as well. I lost a very significant contract uh, early March, uh, which created more space and I guess more urgency around it. Not not because I was worried about losing the money. Money's not 
a really big motivator for me uh, and I'm, I'm pretty comfortable actually. So I've, I've set myself up pretty well that I can pursue uh, some silly ideas every now and then, but yeah, that created the space. I've had this urge to work on it full time. I probably underestimated back in December how much work it would actually be to create a product. So your own formulation, manufacture your own bottles, create a direct-to-consumer brand uh, and do that all in a year. I, think I was very naive. So, yes. We'll dig full-time. into that in just a little minute, I think, because <laughs> I'm sure there's a lot to unpack in all of that. So thank you. It's really great to hear, you know, that that real passion for the motivator behind what you're doing. So so thanks for sharing that. So, Shan, how about yourself? What was going on in your world? I think after you know, hearing Amy's story and then kind of comparing it to mine. It's so interesting. They're just at complete opposite ends of the spectrum, which I think was what I, I love and how we've come together. Um, but yes, my journey to well, where, you know, where it all started was very different. Um, I'd been working in Melbourne at a PR social uh, marketing agency for a few years and I decided that I'd stay there in the office job because it's really not my vibe. Uh, until I got into a management role. So I did that. And then as soon as I got there, um, I put in my leave um, because I just wanted to know that once I was in a management role, I could freelance. So I could be my own boss and manage my own clients. Um, So as soon as I did that, packed up my life in Melbourne, my partner and I bought a a van and we decided we were going to go traveling around Australia for years. (laughs) Um, and I would just freelance um, online digital marketing as, as we went. So we did that for about three months, got to Noosa uh, and then never left. <laughs> so we just loved it too much. Um, there was so much happening here. I think Noosa is just booming at the moment. And as someone coming in with my experience, there was just so much work. It's just a little bit behind Melbourne um, in terms of, uh, I guess, experience in, uh, in the digital landscape. So you know, in Melbourne, I was kind of like, you know, just entry level and up in Noosa. Um, I was yeah, very forward thinking. So I, I loved it up here. Um, I went straight into uh, picking up lots of freelance clients and uh, becoming the marketing manager part time at a brewery here. Uh, and I suppose I just uh, started, yeah, like Amy said, falling in love with nature more and uh, having it as part of my life every day. I remember going surfing in the morning before work once and dolphins jumped up and then I saw a whale and I was like, wow, (laughs) like this is living now. Um, And so that's always been a really big part for me. And I also feel like at the moment we're in this kind of pivotal period where we need to make change. And I think there's this energy and people can feel that. Um, And I've definitely been feeling it even more so now that I'm in nature every day. So I just, I, I was in this transitional period of my own Um, And I was thinking about it more and more. And so when Amy, through a friend, came to me with this concept, it was just like this this couldn't be more perfect timing. This couldn't be more aligned with everything that I'm feeling and everything that I want to do. Um, And also to me, a huge opportunity. Um, You know, my background isn't as experienced as Amy. Amy is amazing at everything she does. And I just saw this with COVID and everything going on as my opportunity to stop what I'm doing not that there was probably that much and just dive head um, head first into this um, and yeah haven't looked back. Fantastic I think it's so lovely to hear that you were already on that journey of transition of something 
And yeah. and I guess it was serendipity that made you land in Noosa, stay in Noosa, meet each other and, and go forward from there. I, I'm curious, you mentioned that you were with a partner travelling. Um, are you? Did he stop in Noosa too or did he keep going and you <laughs> stayed in Noosa? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, we both stopped. So, yeah, we both live here now. Um, can't see ourselves moving back. We just, we, we, it was three months, then six months, then a year. And then we both, I, one day just looked at each other and I was like, we're not leaving, are we? So <laughs> <laughs> That's good. The rest yeah. of Australia will still be there to go travel around later. So yeah, it'll exactly, be fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, that's wonderful. Um, okay. Now you, you obviously did meet and you haven't been, you know, lifelong friends. So I'm curious to know it was through a friend, but maybe one of you can tell me how did that actually happen? So after deciding that uh, if this product doesn't, didn't exist and I'm probably someone that could, in in the way that I do manage complex projects, bring it together, the one area that I knew we had to do very well was in this branding marketing space. So from my perspective, my view is that the only way to really maintain a strong competitive advantage is to have a very strong brand, one one that your customers just really love, they connect with uh, and that connects and aligns with their own why. And I knew I wasn't the person to do that. that that's definitely not my strength, but I had to set out and find that person. I contacted uh, two other friends uh, in advance. Both of them said that they weren't necessarily the right people, whether it was they just didn't have the right skill set, they weren't broad enough, or they just didn't have the time. Both of them actually are now involved in the business. They didn't want to let it go. So they're actually also shareholders. Uh, but one of them, Sasha, she you know, didn't have the capacity. And I said to her, well, I still really want you involved. Who who could that person be? Do you know anyone else? And she had to think for a moment and said, oh, actually, yes, I know this girl, Sean. Actually, I think she'd be perfect. And she shared Sean's personal Instagram with me. And <laughs> I was like, yes, yep, that's it. That That's kind of the person I was looking for because I did, I did want to make it a brand that I feel you know Sean represents just as an as an individual so quite joyful happy a bit carefree um you're creative but accessible and and looking at Sean's personal brand I I got all of that sense so Sasha organized a coffee it was a little bit slow for me joy I think it took about 2 weeks um, to actually get to meet Sean face to face and we met at a cafe and yeah, it was probably like love at first sight. <laughs> I bet she was so tall, so tall. <laughs> I wish I'd been wearing my heels. Uh, yeah. And I just liked her energy. Um, yeah. And her enthusiasm. And we have uh, extremely strong values alignment, which as Sean has pointed out, we're extremely different. We work very differently, but I, I feel the same with a romantic partner. As long as you have values alignment, you can work through that, which is what, what we do. That's a, a really good point that you make, actually. I think it a lot of it does come down to values and you don't want someone with the same skills as you. And clearly you were looking for someone who had the skills that you knew weren't your strengths, but were strengths in someone else. Sean, I know we've had a little conversation about this before and um, I, I'd be keen for you just to maybe dig a little deeper into it, but around your personal brand, I mean, it's obviously what Amy was able to look at before she actually met you. Um, and yes, 
in appearance, you are very different in some ways and quite similar in other ways um, as well. But, uh, but you know, creating your personal brand and, and thinking about that, like obviously you, you're you in marketing, so you get that as well. But tell me a little bit about how you did that, why you did that, what that means to you to have that personal brand and obviously for it to be so clear in, in who you are and what you stand for. Yeah, it's something that I didn't, just until recently consciously realized that I had done uh, that I had done that I think I was talking to my dad or something and he was like well this is all because you built such a great personal brand and then I all of a sudden was like oh yeah like I kind of did like I did spend years on this and I I guess I've always been creative I've always um always wanted to like have a platform to say something and for me Venus you know predominantly digital marketer and social media management, and I just started kind of putting that into practice with myself. Um, and when I worked in social media, I was always doing this for other people. Um, so kind of creating that for myself was the fun part that I did on the side. Um, and I, you know, often people would say, why are you doing it? Like, why are you putting so much effort into this Instagram and this page and talking to people? Because at the start, you don't have that many people to talk to. And I always kind of thought of it as my journal. So the re- I would, if I wanted to feel something or think something, that is where I would put it all. Um, and it, and I didn't know what I wanted to achieve with it, but I just thought that if I, if I built something for myself on there, maybe opportunities would come. I didn't, I, I went this the way Amy said it. Then I was like, oh my gosh, that, that brought me this opportunity. That's crazy. So, and, and yeah, so I just um, spent quite a bit of time on it just, and it wasn't too thought out. Just, you know, if you're in a nice moment, capture it, take the time to stop and, and talk about things and reflect, um, not make it too manufactured. I think if you just talk how you're feeling, sometimes people find that refreshing across these platforms. And I, and I aim to do the same with business as well, be honest and open. Um, but, yeah, I've had lots of opportunities come through it. I think, um, yeah, people can really connect when you put yourself and your brand and what you love out there. Um, and it's uh, amazed me the things that I've been able to achieve or the people that I've been able to reach um, just through that. So, yeah. The platform that you said it was on, is it all on Instagram or you've got a, a website or something as well? No, it's all on Instagram. All on Instagram. So, yep. Yeah, which has just been like crazy. I, I've even um, like recently had like as someone that's trying been trying to surf and things like that recently had some opportunities with like Roxy and things like that just in my own personal life and I was just like how did I get here <laughs> so I think it's really important to if you want to I don't know I guess it sounds a bit kind of look at me but if you want people to see you and you want to put yourself out there and you want to find opportunities platforms like Instagram um, or social media are just an amazing way to connect with people that you've never met before um, and just find opportunities that you just did not even imagine were possible. And that's definitely been the case for me. And I think what comes through, and I know I, I've browsed your Instagram page, um, that it is the the authenticity that comes with it. And it's not this over curated, uh, you know, I know you're saying, you know, it's not about look at me, but it's this is who I am and I'm sharing that openly as opposed to curating something to go, oh, this is you know, this is kind of fake, you know, world that, that I want to live in. But, you know, this is truly who I am and what I do and what I believe in. And I think the the openness that you put into that and obviously, you know, you've got some skill in how you craft things, which is, is yeah. great as well. Um, but I think that really comes through. And clearly that's why people, 
you know, when they see it, they reach out to you because they believe that that is actually who you are, which is which is a credit to you. Yeah, I will say one thing on that when I, like I was always trying this in Melbourne and I was always trying to be, to represent this person that I felt like it was more this aspirational and I wasn't quite clicking. And then when I moved here and when I actually like aligned my life with everything that I wanted, like everything that I wanted to be, it was like it all clicked into place and people could read that and tell that. So I guess my point there would be if, you know, if you want people to connect with you, you have to be really true to yourself and you have to um, create, you actually have to create that life. If that's what you want to be seen as or portrayed as or create around you, you need to do it. You can't just kind of pretend to do it. And I really felt the impact of that. Move, move it from the aspirational to the everyday. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Love it. Yeah. Very good. So Pleasant State has started and there's been a lot of work that's gone into it so far. And while you don't have a physical product out in the market to buy, like someone can't go actually just buy one off the shelf today, um, there's been obviously a lot of things that you've done to get to the point that you're at. So what are some of those steps that you took to go, okay, I've got this idea, I'm going to make it a reality. I've found the person that's going to help me do that or the people, because you've mentioned a couple of people already, Amy, that you've had involved and you've had some conversations with, but then, then what did you do? So maybe taking a little bit of a step back because the way I even went about getting those people or solving things is the same thing that I still continue to do every day. And so one, and I think it's, it's just a process and I just repeat it repeatedly. So after having the idea, I thought, okay, well, can I actually do this? Am I the right person? And I reflected and realized, yeah, I have extensive experience across many, many areas of business. My MBA has been really crucial. I didn't quite appreciate how beneficial that would be until I'm in it. My expertise or experience over many subject matter areas across big business was really useful. My consulting, basically I realized I'm someone who I can absorb data and new subject matter very quickly. I can manage very complex projects. I can find the people that I need and I'm quite comfortable with having people on my team who are quite different to me and managing any tension that comes from that. So, and I know I'm just really good at solving problems. So basically all I did was I said, okay, how would one do this? I'm not a chemist. So what do I need to do? I didn't even know what sort of chemist I needed, Joy, to begin with. I sat down like, okay, I think a chemist does this. Is that different to like a pharmacist chemist? So I called one of my compound pharmacist friends and said, I'm pretty sure you're not the right pharmacist or sorry, chemist, but this is what I want to do. What can you tell me? And, and that's all I did. I just wrote down what are, what are problems I need to solve? What are the questions that I need answered? Who, who can answer them for me or who knows someone who could answer it for me? I'm not afraid to ask silly questions. I'm super curious, but I had a very clear idea of where, where I was going and why. And people bought into that why. So when I explained that this is a massive environmental issue, we're looking at more plastic than fish in the ocean come 2050. We have no idea what's in our cleaning products and we have no idea the impacts that they're having on our health. I do personally because I've been battling health issues and I've had to eradicate toxins. So I was able to get people to buy into that that vision. I don't I don't know how we're going to get there, but it's a it's a very clear vision. 
very fortunate Sean did uh, we have a, an amazing branding studio who bought in so much that 70% of their fee is at risk based on how we go on this crowdfunding. Um, even though certain companies weren't able to come along on the full journey with us because they had their own focus areas, certain people would peel off from those companies and, and deal with us directly. So, yes, having that why knowing that I have all these problems to solve, being extremely curious, just chipping away at them day in, day out, and they come up every day. Uh, one, you know, I think we've solved one thing. For example, manufacturer. Manufac- I was onto my second manufacturer, seemed to be going well. That that proved to be incorrect after months of working together. So then, you know, one day I'm back to the drawing board. I have to find a new manufacturer. This was only two or three weeks ago, by the way. And then I'm like, okay, well, who's going to help me solve this? So I just keep writing them down, keep solving them, keep doing that day in, day out. And, and I just backing myself and knowing that that, that will happen. And yes, the same thing in the marketing space with Sean, we, we continue to do that. But keeping our customer front of mind always is critical. So I'm obsessed, I always like data, I always know, want to know what they're thinking, uh, Sean, anytime I say research data, rolls her eyes at me, but serving them and giving them what they want and delighting the customer is front of mind. So what's our why? What? How are we going to delight our customer? And we just keep that front of mind. So mentioning customer and we, we love when people start with why because I preach that continuously. So really glad that you're already on that journey. But when you're thinking about your customer, and Sean, I might pose this to you, you know, really thinking and getting to know who that person is and, and you know, what they look like and what they want and, and what message is going to resonate for them. How did you start to do that in in this, you know, it's new, it's something that people haven't experienced before they're going to have to learn how and as well as why how did you actually start to think about what's going to resonate best for for these people and who are they yeah I think we this was really important for us um, and we went into a lot of detail which was also a huge learning for me because I'm the type of person that's like yeah I've got this feeling um I, I think it'll be like this and then kind of dive in and and just go with the flow so having Amy to be like no and the team stopped um let's take it back and let's actually test this was I thought I found it so interesting so we actually um prior to launching anything ran uh, market research um where we you know we were a third party sat down with eight people and interviewed them um and we just got feedback on you know all areas so you know what what their current products were how they felt about the current climate and what their interests were um we just went into so much detail and then you know over each call um, just learnt more and more about them and then in the end presented them, you know, the product and that kind of thing. And it was actually so interesting in a way. I remember at the end we they were chatting to one of them and um, they're like, what, okay, after all this, what do you picture Pleasant State to be like? And this um, person described like two women, the colours they were wearing, like this, all this kind of thing. And then um, the market researcher showed them a photo of us and it was like, she was like, whoa, that was exactly it. <laughs> so I, I, I thought that was really cool. So we, you know, put so much time and effort into researching this and making sure that all our assumptions were correct. And sometimes they weren't. Um, sometimes we were surprised with the results. So I think it was definitely very important. 
Um, and then after that process, we just we just keep doing it all the time. Um, with lots of our social media content, we'll constantly be asking for feedback. We often run polls. Um, we often base it back off that market research. And when we also developed our customers, um, we use the Roy Morgan Helix personas as well. So we took that information from the market research. Um, and then with uh, Renil, one of our team, he's the customer insights guru. He, um, you know, put forward our personas and then we've worked really closely with them. Um, at, you know, all our ads, all our targeting, all our messaging, just to make sure that we're really aligning with those people that we've identified as our target customers. And I think it's definitely now all starting to come together and, and work really well. Yeah, well, the ads are great and I love the videos in particular. I'm curious to know, though, what were, what's maybe one or two things that you were wrong about? What did you think that you actually learned? You know what? That's not, that's not going to fly. Um, I think a big, there was a few, the biggest learning from it, which I, I guess is very obvious, <laughs> but you just didn't think about because I don't know, I, I like all the pretty side of things and stuff like that was just that no matter what you do, no matter how nice it is, no matter how eco it is, it has to work. Um, and the product has to be effective or there's no point in even creating it. And so that, I think, I think you, you know, you know, it, but it really just, um, put it into the front of our minds. Like we have to have a product that works. Otherwise none of this, is, there's no point to it. Um, and then I suppose another part was just kind of um, how broad the audience was. Um, and another big one was how much they were, we also tested their, how much they were willing to pay as well, like trying to figure out pricing. Um, and so, yeah, I'd say they were the big ones for me. Amy, I feel like I may have missed one. Can you think of any that I haven't? We tested subscription models as well. Yeah, that was a good that, one. That's the path we would like to go yeah. down. The results indicated that would be a significant barrier mm. at this stage if we were to introduce it, mainly because we were already doing so many new things. That would just be one extra thing that for the customers to get across would be quite difficult. Not only that, there's a bit of a distrust to immediately join a subscription model because what if they want to get out? What if they don't like it? So that was quite good because there was a risk we just launched with a subscription model and would have uh, missed that entirely. The other was, yeah, just uh, uh, we identified an unmet need yeah. and that that was probably the most interesting thing that these customers that we were talking about they had made significant changes as it related to the food they were eating, uh, you know, reducing their environmental impact uh, as it related to solar, solar panels or driving places. However, so they had this aspirational version of themselves which didn't quite align with their cleaning regimes. So when we asked them to pull out their cleaning products, they would walk out with at least anywhere from 8 to 15 products, which would vary from quite green stuff to the not not such green stuff, mainly because that's what their, their parents had always used. And they didn't quite realise this dissonance between how they wanted to live and, and how they were actually living. But that's because actually there, there was nothing that quite met those needs yet or they didn't quite realise that they had this need and that was super fascinating so so we knew we had this opportunity to educate people to say well yes you have this need here is this solution for you 
uh, and help shift them away primarily from these mainstream brands that we know we're just as effective at as. So we've formulated it to be so and our results demonstrate that. But we, we also provide an option that reduces impact to environment and is significantly better for their health, uh, both themselves, their families and just their general home environment. One of the things that caught me in one of the videos that I watched was just around the, you know, the comment about, you know, you've replaced your plastic water bottle with your, you know, aluminium water bottle or glass water bottle or whatever you have. But have you thought about all the other, you know, whilst there might be um, a, a slightly longer life, single use plastic, there's still a single use plastic of your cleaning product bottle. And and no, I hadn't thought about it. And yet I'm... I'm a climate change reality leader. I am super conscious. I studied climatology at university. I'm well aware of the impact uh, of so many different things. But had I actually considered that as a, as a particularly as a single use plastic? No, I hadn't. And whilst I, you know, have changed our the way we clean at home and what we use and those types of things over the last few years. It still hadn't dawned on me that that is, in fact, what it is. It will get used once and that will be it. So, yeah. And until Pleasant State, you didn't, you actually didn't have a good alternative. No. So, and that's what we're trying to demonstrate that we feel this issue around single use plastics is actually not a consumer issue. Um, the, I guess the big businesses that are pushing plastics, they obviously have an agenda, it's extremely lucrative for them. And they have a lot of money behind them in terms of marketing. So they've been able to spin this myth that, yes, plastic in some uses, it's a very effective material. It's fantastic in ways, but we don't, we don't need it for everything. In fact, life existed without plastic. So we do need to consider, well, what were we doing before? Is it actually that critical to our lives? We need to ignore this this, I guess, myth that it's a waste problem, that consumers just have to be better at recycling because recycling isn't the solution. In fact, a lot of plastics can't be reused, uh, even if you put them in recycling. I believe the stats, 9% of any plastic is actually ever recycled. So no, recycling isn't the solution. We've actually got to stop it at its source. And so that's why at Pleasant State, we're providing a solution in one area and hopefully that that expands. And any decisions that we make around packaging or what we use in our business, we are eradicating single-use plastics. So, yeah, we're hoping to educate our customers that, no, it's not your fault. Uh, You just, you can walk down a supermarket aisle and you don't have a single choice. Uh, Everything is plastic, but you can start to ask better questions of these brands that, that you do engage with and ask them, what are they doing? Perfect. One thing, and Sean, I know um, you've covered this for us in, in Flair and we'll probably talk about Flair in a little bit in a minute, but um, when you see the picture online of the, um, you know, the, the tablet, the, the bit that you drop into the bottle, it looks like it's wrapped in plastic, but it's not. So do you just want to describe to me what, what that is? Yes. Yeah, so um, we've actually, it was like, well, Amy in particular put a lot of time and research into this um, and what we've now decided we've gone with for the bar is a compostable laminate. Um, we, you know, we looked at tin, but that can be a bit reactive. Um, we looked at all these different options. Um, and in the end, yeah, that was the best option for us. Um, 
But what was really shocking about it, and I think with the whole process, is how hard it is to find these alternatives, um, which, like, it shouldn't be this hard. Um, I know with one thing as well, um, when we actually order the bottles, when they come, they would always come in their own individually wrapped plastic bag. So, you know, you go to all this effort to have compostable wrappers um, and glass bottles, uh, but then they arrive, well, they would have arrived in plastic. So... Um, Amy had to put a lot of work into coming up with different ways to have them delivered to us as well. So there's just all these touch points where plastic is just, I don't know, mindlessly used everywhere. And just seeing that throughout this process has just been a bit shocking. And it's like no wonder so many people go with the cheaper, easier option because it's just been pushed on us constantly. Um, but, yeah, so definitely not wrapped in plastic, those bars. Um, I can't wait till we actually have them so you can demonstrate it because in real life, not the 3D renders, they, they won't look obviously like plastic. Um, but, yeah, compostable laminate. Wonderful. And and the work and the effort that's gone into that whole supply chain, I think, is is really a credit to you because there are those little things where, you know, sometimes you'll look and you'll go, oh, we'll just we just need to keep moving. You know, we'll have to just overlook that bit. But no, and I know in the past when I've run an event and we've ordered water bottles for, you know, to give to the participants and they've all arrived in an individual plastic bag or, you know, T-shirts and we haven't had T-shirts at events now for a few years, but they would all come in their own individual plastic bag and it's like, it's a T-shirt. It doesn't have to be in a bag. (laughs) So, Yeah. yeah, I mean... But and you're right. It's it is so much work, and sometimes I'm like, why we're already doing something that is so complex? Why have we made this so much harder on ourselves? But we always come back to our ethical decision making framework. We are very clear on that. We established that right from the get go. That is the foundation for our business. Uh, one of our values is no single-use plastics in our products or our supply chain. And so whenever we face one of these dilemmas, which is, okay, here's the really cheap option, this is the quick and dirty option, we say, well, no, that that just doesn't align with our values. And and I would encourage more organisations to actually set these sort of ethical decision-making frameworks from the get-go because it actually makes the decision process easy because you get to it and you're like, well, okay, no, we can't do that. We're going this way. That's not to say that the solution is easy though uh, because that's not, and no, it's not the cheapest, but Sean was alluding to this before. Our, our customers, and I think this will be the same across the board for any products that are value values-led, purpose-led, Uh, and more environmentally or socially impactful, customers are willing to pay more for that. So we, we have set it at the price that they're willing to pay, which gives us some fat so that actually when we get to these decision points or we're in conversations with our suppliers and they turn around and say, well, if you want us to ship your glass bottles, not in plastic, but with egg lattice, which will divide them and protect them, that's going to cost you more. We can say, okay, it costs us more, but th- that's the decision we're going to make. So we have we we have allowed for that and it allows us to make the right decision. And any conversation we have with suppliers, it's, it's interesting. They always start with the lowest price option and, and that's how they've been trained and geared. That That's how the industry or the world works, interestingly. So I actually feel most of the time their customers are not presented with the alternatives and so they don't actually know about them. So we go into conversations and say, don't don't start with your cheapest. I want to know what's your best. 
these are the things that we're trying to achieve, reduced environmental impact, no toxins. What have you got available? And let's start there. Great. And I think raising it from the beginning just helps everybody understand how important it is and that it's not an afterthought or, you know, you're not saying to them, okay, I want, you know, just whatever you can give me at at the cheapest price, which, yeah, is good. I imagine there's many, many things that you're proud of in the journey that you've been on so far. Tell me one of them. Um, I would probably say on on my side, um, just creating, when we finally launched, um, you know, we had done all this market research, all this branding, all this, you know, um, trying to predict what people wanted and what people would engage with. And when we finally launched and received like instant brand love and people instantly connected with us um, and instantly supported us and we just grew this community so quickly. Uh, like a ha- in all, all my years of social media and, and audience building and, and all the um, community management, it was like it blew my mind and I'm probably the most proud of that. Like, and I think that going back to, you know, staying to things that are true to you and your values, when you can create something that's, I guess, part of you in a way and people really love it, it's just, it's a really nice feeling and, and, and you know that it's going to go well. That's probably the proudest part for me. Is it the same for you, Amy, or something else? Yeah, there's a number of things, definitely. <laughs> but further to Sean's stuff, and that is most definitely reflected in the results that we've achieved. So since we launched the brand on 1 June, what are we up to, Sean? I think it's for uh, three over 3,000 Instagram followers, over mm-hmm. 1,000 Facebook followers. And I know following is one thing, but we've had conversions to 600 customers who have pre-purchased our product through our crowdfunding campaign. So, and they're going to be repeat customers because we know that people are very happy with our product. So I'm super proud about that. We have developed a product, a bar that has achieved all of the things that we set out to. It's just as effective as mainstream brands. Achieving that was not easy. Like we were, I thought it was easy when we started this, but to go and make some a product that is without water. So you just extract the actives that is just as effective, that is non-toxic, like that. It didn't seem that hard, but it was actually really hard. So to achieve that, I'm super proud about that. We have created jobs on the Sunshine Coast. In fact, several people who have been fundamental in our journey have spun up a new manufacturing business just to support us. So I'm super proud that we've been able to keep manufacturing in Australia and, and that was not easy. And that, yeah, people are coming to Sean for advice around branding and marketing. I'm super proud about that for her Uh, and that they're coming to us as, you know, they see us as a benchmark for purpose-led. So for an organisation that doesn't even have a product in market, that that's what people are seeing in us. Yeah, I'm pretty proud about that. Lots to be proud of and deservedly so. So well done. Now, we got to know you because you applied for Flare Incubator and we were very happy to meet yourself, Amy, at Bootcamp. And I know it was like when you were launching your crowdfunding campaign and it, the timing was crazy, so Sean couldn't join us then. 
Um, but we checked you out on Instagram, so you're all good. Um, but <laughs> we um, obviously uh, invited you to come join us as part of that program. But I'm curious to know um, what was the, the catalyst behind you applying to be part of Flare Incubator? Yeah, that is something else we're very proud of, being accepted into Flare. So thank you so much, Joy, for the opportunity. I think uh, another thing I'm proud of is just how many people support us because actually I wasn't I wasn't aware of Flare until a couple of days before it closed. In fact, someone, you know, another small business startup owner on the Sunshine Coast, he just forwarded the information to me on LinkedIn and he's been a really big champion for us. And I looked at it and I thought, oh, regional, tick, female-led, tick, international, yes. Oh, my gosh, it ticks all the boxes. Uh, at the, I'm like, wow, how did this happen? But I tend to put things out into the universe. Apparently, I have this ability where if I'm very specific and say, okay, I need this right now, it, it comes to me. So, like, oh, wow, flare, okay, it came. I got to apply. Um, I didn't tell Sean though, <laughs> or my team, because I'm like, they kept saying, Amy, Amy, like, let's just get it right in Australia. I'm like, yeah, yeah, okay, you guys just get it right in Australia. Um, I'm taking this global, like this is where we're going. So I just applied and thought I'll tell them, I'll tell them if we get in, which is what I did. So I was super excited to be accepted to come to the pitching. I told Sean, like, this is a really great opportunity. I know we're very busy. I didn't want to put any extra strain on the team. So I said, I'm, d- I'm going to go. You guys keep focusing and then I'll report back and let you know if it's like worth it. Uh, and it was joy. I didn't admit this at the time, but I remember after the first day of pitching, I think this is such a female thing to do. And I'm annoyed at myself because I like to not be typically female. I got home to my partner and I said, oh, those other female-led businesses, they're amazing. I'm really surprised, which I continue to be surprised by the talent and the entrepreneurial spirit in regional areas. So that that continues to, yeah, wow me. And I just, I had this feeling like, you know, I, I feel that we, I'm very fortunate with my training, education and my experience that a new we, we could still get where we're going. I feel I had, we had the stuff that we needed. And so I got home and said to my partner, oh, those, those other women are just so deserving. Like I would hate, I would hate to take up a spot when I know we can get there um, and, and for other people to miss out. And he just said, Amy, you're crazy. Like, what are you doing? Um, do, could you get stuff out of this? And I said, most definitely, because I was amazed at the mentors that, you had brought in both Ian and Monica were really amazing. And so I got up at 4am the next morning and worked tirelessly on my pitch. I practice, practice, practice. Cause my, we have to get in. And then I got home and said, okay, guys, I've done this. I'm hoping we get in. Sean, here are all the dates, block it out for if we do. And then thankfully she agreed to come along. Thanks, Sean. <laughs> Okay. Uh, yeah, did, I was. Just, uh, <laughs> I did not know that you hadn't told her beforehand. <laughs> I was so oblivious. Um, uh, even yeah, because it all happened so quickly, and so I was trying to before we even came like research and get my head around it. I was researching, believe it or not. Um, but like Amy, I'm so glad that we did because although Amy has a lot of business experience, 
I, um, I'm not as experienced as Amy in those areas. So to me, for me as well, even like just week one, everything so far has been amazing and really good for me. And I think Amy recognised that as well. Um, so yeah, very glad that we that she put us um, forward and that we got accepted. Well, so are we. Even if you didn't know. <laughs> So, um, but yeah, look, it's it's wonderful to have you with us. And I know that there's so much going on in your world that fitting it in uh, is is a challenge. And we always say to everybody, though, apart from the fact that, yes, you, you may have to do some certain things at certain times, all of what we want you to be doing through Flare Incubator is actually relevant to what you're doing in your business. And it's really just trying to amplify the importance of some of those parts and maybe raise the ones that you weren't aware of and you know, hold you a little bit accountable to to getting on with things. And for you guys, that's clearly not an issue. I think you are going to get on with it anyway, but if we can support on that journey. But for for yourselves, it's a, you know, it's 16 weeks. Do you have uh, an objective? And I know you do, but I just want you to share it with everybody else. What's your objective for the program? So we wrap up just before Christmas. Where, you know, where do you want to be in mid-December? So one of our goals was to go global uh, and that's already well in our view happened <laughs> so we launched our campaign into the UK that happened way quicker than we're expecting how long are we into the program joy to almost three weeks <laughs> yeah so Ian Mason has been fundamental in pushing that so and credit to him because I think often we need that. I know from my research, and this is generalizing, but women won't, they sometimes don't back themselves enough or don't take those risks because they're worried about failure. And that was something that I was actually concerned about, not having enough information. Uh, so he kind of just pushed, but supported us. I've been really amazed. If he says, do something, he says, I will help you. And he does. Uh, he made a mistake of giving me his mobile number because I constantly contact him. So yeah, going global uh, and actually getting well, actually getting our product to market. We have so many challenges that we have to solve. So our manufacturing, what does our third-party logistics look like? What it, are we going to have a retail channel in addition to our direct-to-consumer channel? So I've personally had all of these kind of business problems. And yes, while I have a fairly good grounding in research. I most definitely do not have the answers to so many things. And again, back to that putting out to the universe, I needed I needed someone who would challenge me and push me and be able to answer some questions or just spitball on big problems because I'm facing big problems all the time. And you're very grateful that Ian has been able to play that role for me. So very grateful. Thanks, Joy. That's okay. That's what we're here for. So glad that that you can see that vision and be clear about what you want and that we can support you on that journey. And obviously, uh, for anyone listening to the podcast that's listened to all of the episodes, you would have uh, heard my interview with Ian a couple of months ago when we first decided to bring him into this program. And yeah, I've got to say that uh, we're three weeks into the actual incubator after having had boot camp a few weeks before that and uh, he's earning his keep he's doing all right so we're we're pretty happy with that decision which is good so Shan you didn't know about it but obviously you've come joined us which is great um is there anything that's kind of surprised you I guess in in terms of 
not knowing really probably what to expect at the beginning, but you've come along and, and Amy encouraged you to be excited about it. That anything that's surprised you throughout the last few weeks? Um, I think I said it on the third or fourth day when we were um, of, of the residential. When we, we started and a lot of a lot of the first few days were about branding um, and marketing, customer research and stuff. And I was just kind of sitting there like, oh yeah, this is nice, this is interesting. And then when it came to pitching and and putting yourself out there and going to, you know, if someone's in the room, introducing yourself um, and not being afraid to ask for help or ask for questions. I, I think that to me was like a huge turning point when I realised, oh, hold up. <laughs> You're not as confident as you think you are. You're definitely doubting yourself. Um, you need to like stop, reflect understand why you're here and your value and your purpose and need to start pushing um, and being confident and asking these questions and learning from Amy and learning from this program. Um, And I had like a morning of, oh God. (laughs) Um, And then just, yeah, I think it was, for me, that was a huge thing. Like went into something, didn't exactly know what I was going into, um, had like a few days of just kind of listening and learning. And then that moment, I think, changed um, me on a lot of levels personally and throughout the business and I'm definitely very thankful for that and from then on I've yeah just been a lot more driven to understand if I don't understand things not just let Amy take the lead but actually ask questions and, and get more involved and also the, I guess the biggest thing for me is understand my value and not be afraid to go up to someone and ask how, how can you can you help me with this or do you know how I could do this better or and that's a, a big thing not just kind of the need to pretend like you know everything <laughs> is a big one um, standing in that room with all these people talking and and quite often not knowing what you know words meant or, or um, concepts meant and things like that and uh, you know not understanding the jargon so it was a big turning point for me but I'm really now motivated to just take that challenge um, and, and yeah, I feel like a boss by the end of it. <laughs> Wonderful. We can totally, totally yeah. relate to all of that and, and encourage you to, yeah, to be a boss. That would yeah, be cool. <laughs> and what about yourself, Amy? Obviously, you had a bit more insight into what it was about. And I know that we'd had a little chat even before um, you first come to boot camp. So what's, what's surprised you through your journey so far? That... There are people that have higher expectations of others than me, Joy. <laughs> that wouldn't be me, would it? <laughs> that might be you, um, which is good because I, well, yeah, I already, I have very high expectations, but having someone else be quite clear about what they want and setting that and holding you to account, it helps to push me a bit more. That's probably a little bit scary for Sean, given how much we're already pushing. But yeah, I, I want to do you and the Flare program proud. So it, it's nice having that additional motivator. And yeah, I'm very impressed with the the talent uh, and the mentors that you're bringing in, particularly their focus on being purpose-led, uh, putting people and planet before profits. For so long, you know, that very first story I said of being in that room with these amazing women in corporate Australia and just feeling like they weren't my tribe. And I I think for many months, I've just been feeling like I haven't found that tribe. So now like that is actually happening and that's, that's very heartwarming. 
And I'm really glad to hear that because that is a key part of what we want this to be is is finding your people. Um, and we've you know curated that as best we can and we'll continue to do so um, because there's lots of you out there. It's just getting you to meet each other. So, yeah, so that's Yeah, good. and it's it, like it's really amazing the the people that are coming to me now are very different and I'm quite surprised by that. They're very heart-led. So they, they're like, oh, Amy, can we meet up? I want to hear your story. This is what we're doing. And these, just, these people weren't part of my world. They just weren't in my network and yet they're just coming in droves. So that's, that's really nice. Obviously, I think it's an energy thing. We've kind of changed our focus and our energy and the type of people that we're looking for. And yes, building building out that community. And yes, I love that they exist. Uh, I'm sad I didn't find them sooner. That's all right. Better late than never. It's good. <laughs> and it's not late because you're still super early on your journey. So it's it's a good thing. And, and in your lives, you little young whippersnappers. Um, all righty. There is, there's so much going on and I know um, that for yourselves in the stage that you're at with your crowdfunding campaign, which is underway at the moment and when this goes to air, you'll have 10 days to go. So for those people who are listening and maybe hadn't heard of Pleasant State, uh, then you need to read my newsletters because it's been in there every week, but that's all right. We'll, <laughs> we'll, go, we'll keep going with that. But, um, you know, when, uh, when you're, you know, on this journey and you're really thinking about what you're doing and as you just said, Amy, you know, people are coming, coming to you, um, this whole, whole, and I can't think of the exact word purpose is there, but it's not purpose. It's, I guess it's a mission or, you know, what you're really striving for has so many facets and so many parts to it. But if you're thinking about, um, you know, taking this opportunity and taking it forward, crowdfunding is, is just that first catalyst to get things going for you. But where do you see that that bigger vision or that, you know, full mission? And, you know, I know saving the planet is maybe a little bit like, Miss Universe, I want world peace. But um, what is that vision, that bigger thing um, that's beyond, you know, beyond the end of flair, beyond getting this product into market? What's what's out there for you? So we're hoping to use Pleasant State as, I guess, a role model for for how what it looks like to be a, a purpose led organization and how that can actually be really profitable. We don't think the two are mutually exclusive. In fact, putting your customers first, having good supplier relationships, actually pricing what I call negative externalities. So any impacts that you have on the environment, you price it into your product and and charge the consumer because at some point it has to be priced. That that to us just seems like good, good business, treating your employees well. Ultimately, if you're creating this type of value, you're going to receive it back. So first and foremost, we want to change what it looks like to be a good business. We think it's time for businesses to to be better themselves and and to do better. We don't think it's enough to just make a whole lot of money and then do better. You've got to be good while you do it. And the Pleasant State products, we, you know, we're starting with the three SKUs, the multi-purpose, the bath and the ga- glass room cleaner. But ultimately, it's a vehicle for us to, to make lots of money so we can set up a foundation, so we can support 
uh, other people that are addressing ex- addressing extremely complex and significant social and environmental issues. So, you know, we feel that we we have the skills to support to support others, whether they're R and D inventors, uh, small business in addressing this and bringing a community of people and funding to actually do that because you can't do that as an individual. I don't feel as an activist it's sufficient. You have to have a seat at the table and you have to have money and you have to have networks and you have to have legitimacy. Uh, and we hope that's kind of the longer-term plan. We'd like to get there, have the money, have the the backing, the community and the legitimacy to change to change quite significant issues. Fantastic. Shan, did you want to add anything to that, how you might see it? Yeah, I think definitely um, Amy and I are on the same page here. Uh, Already we're sharing campaigns um, from other kind of aspirational brands or or when we see someone do something amazing, we're constantly sending them to each other. And I'm just so excited for the point where we can um, start you know, getting creative with those, well, me in particular, getting, I love the creators, like getting creative with those campaigns and just starting to um, broaden out of it and, and think of creative ways to help other people or, or the planet and, and, you know, have fun, I guess, while doing it. Um, so, yeah, to me, I'm yeah very aligned with what Amy said as well um, and just really looking forward to that point where we can start making a broader impact. And having fun is definitely a good part of it because none of us want to do anything that makes us sad or bored and we won't do it for long. So we want it to be fun. So I'm glad you added that. That's good. All right. We have been chatting for a while and anyone who's listening might be going, all right, I just want to give these girls some money and I want to buy their product. How can they do that? Where can they find you? What can they Google? What can they, um, you know, type into their website, their Facebook page? Where can they find you? Yeah, perfect. So, yeah, uh, we're called Pleasant State. Uh, we will, uh, at the time of this, have 10 days to go in our crowdfunding. Um, so the best way to support us would be um, you can head to our website, pleasantstate.com, uh, and that will just, there's 100 places you can click there and it will take you to our crowdfunding campaign. Um, so, yeah, you can pre-order via our crowdfunding campaign and the product will arrive in December. Um, you can also check us out on our socials. It's just Pleasant State on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, we're constantly sharing our journey and updates uh, and engaging with our community. So, yeah, we'd love to have you involved in the journey. And sharing with any friends, family, networks in the UK as well. Yeah. So we, we're not that connected in the UK. We're definitely getting some help, but anything that you listeners can do for us would be super amazing. Thank you. Very good. So other than sharing in the UK, which is super important, is there anything else that a listener might be able to do other than pledge, share? Um, is there anything else that you need at the moment? A lot of things. <laughs> What's up? We've got a lot of upcoming challenges. Bottles. I have to bring in a lot of uh, bottles. We have a significant minimum order quantity for our bottles. I'm just trying to come up with creative ways for how we might be able to clear some of those bottles uh, in the short term and just keep some for ourselves. A second is anyone that might have expertise or experience in the retail sort of channel. So that's something very new to us. We're just kind of devising our strategy around that. Uh, we've had a lot of 
very aligned businesses, retail businesses coming to us wanting to to wholesale our product, which is super encouraging. But we we want to make sure that we get that strategy right, that aligns with our values and that you know, the, the price is right, that we keep to protecting our brand throughout the process. So if people have expertise there, we'd love to hear from them. Thank you. Fantastic. All right. Well, we are super happy that you're on this journey and that we get to be a little bit part of it uh, and through the Flare Incubator. We wish you well. The next 10 days will be very exciting, I'm sure, and I look forward to hearing the, the cheers all the way from the Sunshine Coast to Toowoomba when you reach your initial goal, acknowledging it's an initial goal and it still means that there's now a whole lot of work to do, but you will will get there. So I look forward to uh, to hearing that. And you never know, it might even be before this goes to air, but we'll, um, we'll be looking forward to, to sharing that moment with you. So thank you ladies so much for joining me today. Really, really glad to hear you share your story and for everyone listening, uh, please be sure to find pleasantstate.com pledge, share and do what you can to help these ladies be successful in their business and help save the planet. Thank you. Well, that brings us to the end of this week's Ideas Into Reality episode and we hope that you enjoyed learning about our founder's journey and got a couple of takeaways from the lesson learned that will help end the flames of your idea. Assuming you did, be sure to subscribe to this podcast on your favourite podcast app And let your friends know too, they might just be sitting on an idea that you do not even know about yet. You can find out more about Canvas Coworking and Startup Toowoomba by visiting our websites, canvascoworking.com.au and startuptoowoomba.com.au or finding us on pretty much any social media platform. My name is Joy Taylor and I'd like to thank you for joining me on this journey and I look forward to introducing you to our next guest in our next episode.